Big Safety Podcast with Vance and Bart. So, we are back from a vacation abroad. And by abroad, I mean outside of the countries that we currently occupy and into the country of the porcupine. (laughs) Right. We We did survive. We made it back. We just got back from Porkfest. So, for those of you who don't know why we took a little time off there, we were out celebrating our progress and uh i'll say that i'm the first the first one who's not uh great at doing that and i'm more obsessed with the next thing and fixing the next problem but uh every once in a while we have to stop and smell the roses and gather together to uh talk about what's next but more importantly also just celebrate together how far we've come and this this moment we're in is uh, a pretty great one. And uh, Vance, I, I will say, got me into a, a really good place on that during Porkfest. Uh, Vance, you want to you tell the folks who aren't familiar what Porkfest is and, and what it's all about? Well, I guess it's, it's all about whatever you make it, um, which is one great thing about a Liberty-based festival. Especially one as unorganized as uh, Porkfest. To to me, it's a uh, it's all about getting comfortable. Um, if you're a liberty oriented, liberty minded person like like I am, living in most places in the union, uh, you can get pretty exhausted. Uh, just trying to walk around what words you can say and can't say in in this situation or that situation. And also just remembering to bite your tongue when you're just out in public and you're overhearing things and instead of just snapping and, no, fuck that, and just telling somebody what you think, you got to keep your mouth shut and, it gets exhausting. It gets, um, I mean, I get to a place where I'm pretty down uh, and I, I don't like being that way. So when we go to pork fest or another event similar, uh, but pork fest in particular, we're talking about today, it just resets you because you get to be around other people who are liberty minded where the biggest problems you have are, Oh, I think we should talk about this more or focus on this next step towards liberty. It, and even that gets weird because you, you're arguing about it so passionately because we are passionate people as libertarians. And we forget that we're both arguing for liberty right now. Where else can we do that? Which is which is. An amazing thing. It is a bit of a microcosm 
and it, in its way of mirroring the larger society of the state having us argue amongst ourselves to keep us busy. Um, it is sort of this smaller version of that where we can sometimes take it too far and get into the weeds and say, oh, we're, we're just arguing, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the weeds, in the details. But the beauty of that is that we're all there in a very self-aware way, knowing that we're in the weeds and we're not caught up in it. We just know that we're surrounded by like-minded people who will go to the nth degree with us. And that's, that's the main difference between that kind of a, an organized group of folks versus uh, everybody else who's still uh, kind of stuck on not quite as enlightened discussions. Right. Well, I personally had a wonderful time. Uh, I mean, it was, it was, it was sad. There's certain people that aren't there or can't be there now or have passed since the last time I was there. Um, but there's such a new energy there uh, in the scene, not just at Porkfest, but just in the liberty movement in general that it added a whole nother level of excitement to the event that wasn't there the time I had been before. Because even if we don't understand what's going on totally with, with people and the way they're reacting to towards Liberty differently now, um, the energy is still there and we all know it's there and it there's there's a there's a there's a feeling that goes right along with that and everybody's feeling it and um it was exciting to see <clears throat> but we uh we needed that i i needed that bart you from the talks we had, which we had a lot. We did. Um, um, it seemed like uh, it really put you in a, a better place in your head too. So, Absolutely. Because I'll, I'll say that I, I tend to be very caught up in the intellectual pursuits of it all and not thinking about any of my emotional reactions or acknowledging my own emotional reaction to society at large. But I will say that I was surprised at the amount of relief I was able to feel there. Um, there, there is something, there is, a, there is a bit of general wisdom that if everyone around you seems crazy, you are likely the crazy person, right? And mm -hmm. given that general wisdom, which is deeply flawed for many reasons, uh, you d you can sometimes get this feeling when you're in what we'll say just sort of the normal everyday, uh, let's just say Western society even, um, which 
I wouldn't say everything is part of Western society, but everything's uh, either part of Western society or is at war with Western society right now. Mm -hmm. So being in this, let's call it global community we're in right now, if nearly everyone seems crazy, it's hard not to hesitate and second guess yourself because you feel like a crazy person. And it was very, very energizing. It was, it was revitalizing to be among a group of people who were all incredibly rational, incredibly logical, and were not nearly as cold and sterile and boring as I am. <laughs> well, <coughs> I think we got through that cold and sterile while we were there. Um, yeah, we broke into some a uh, little bit of joy, uh, but. Just for the listeners, I think uh, you had a, a pretty, it may not, maybe it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it was a big deal to you and it, and I felt the significance of uh, this realization that you had come to and it was as simple as the places that you could set your cell phone down. And I, I think I would like for you to let the... Uh, listeners know about that because it, it, it was very important to me, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it was one of those things where it was more of this, it was kind of an combination of an emotional response of how you felt about something that was more just sort of an intellectual understanding of what's likely to happen. Um, I, the, to, to set you all up, if you're like me and 97% of your life revolves around food, you probably hear Porkfest and think it's some sort of barbecue festival. <laughs> uh, but it's not even pork in the sense that uh, we're talking about pigs. Uh, pork is, is porcupine. Uh, so there's a, there's a whole liberty piece and free state. Uh, this, this is all taking place in New Hampshire. So there's a really big... Um, alliance with the the state there as well, uh, a big big liberty movement in that particular state, and this is essentially a festival uh, that is largely closed off from the outside world, not in a physical way, in that it's largely outdoors and um, very much open to the air, which we can talk about the sites as well. Um, and how picturesque they were. But this is a festival not unlike any small community festival that you might be uh, familiar with or having experienced maybe uh, the taste of type festivals, like a food festival, like a taste of in your city or you know a small kind of community event like that. Um, the differences start to make themselves apparent when you see the diversity of the crowd. And I don't mean that in the uh, capital D diversity uh, initiative that we have going on in the public sphere. I mean, the economic backgrounds, the ways in which people behave, the, the 
ages, the ways that people <laughs> align themselves to their ages, uh, all of those sorts of things. Um, just an incredibly eclectic group of folks. And among the anarchists, they tend to uh, they tend to coagulate into two buckets. You have your really, really uh, ANCAP and then your ANCOM. And admittedly, the ANCOMs have an excuse, but the ANCAPs don't have an excuse for all dressing the same. <laughs> so, uh, so, so with that, just sort of, I, I say that to set the scene for you all and, and understand that if you were walking around at a, a, a public event with, let's say, thousands of people, you would probably have the same reaction I would if you sit down. So there's a session that um, Vance and I sat down at, which was a, a peaceful parenting session, uh, and it took place outside. It was sort of a guided discussion. And when you sit down on, let's say, like a picnic bench and you set your phone down beside you, you're sort of constantly making sure it's there and keeping your hand hovering over it. And if you've ever been to any large metropolitan area, you put it in your front pocket and hold your hand over it until you get to safety. Um, but I slowly over the, the course of being at this event realized that I was actually in a place where that phone had no where to go. There were no state officials there. There were no people employed by the government. There were no people employed outside of the festival itself. They were all people who are either employed by, volunteering for, or speaking at the event. And the attendees are all there because they are liberty-minded. And specifically, if we're going to talk about the outgrowth of a specific principle, these are all people guided by the NAP. And I would have to imagine that any person guided by such a principle, even if they had a lapse in judgment, let's say someone was particularly upset by the, the bourgeoisie, and <laughs> they, they thought that, oh, well, this phone likely belongs to some rich asshole who doesn't deserve it, and this is how we destroy the system. Well, I have to imagine that person, if they shared that at all with their group or their circle, they would likely have an immediate response on why that is not the way to do it, and it would likely get uh, turned in really quickly and soon after that. So it was just a, a really strange and freeing feeling to be in a place where thousands of people were walking around, complete strangers, but because we were all aligned to one principle, I knew that I could leave my phone, and I saw people leaving their kids uh, to roam free, not in a free-range parenting sort of way, but just in the idea that you're not worried about crime because these are all people who care enough about their own individual liberty and that 
allows them to respect yours as well. And I thought that was just something that I don't know if I would have been able to wrap my head around if I hadn't physically experienced that on site at this event. Right. Um, there are <clears throat> a lot of things that we speak about in this uh, theoretical space uh, because we don't live in a free nation. So we speak about how society would structure itself with the with the freedom that we hope it has one day uh but we're just it's all theory because we're not there yet what this allows us to do is go to a place where we are surrounded by the people with those similar beliefs and see how in this small setting we structured our society and um I think the most impactful thing that I saw, uh, at least it told on my heartstrings, was the children engaged in commerce, earning money, going around. There were kids selling candy. There were kids helping their parents sell books, I imagine, for some sort of payment or... I'm not even sure it was their parents. I don't know if they just, they might've just got a job. They wanted to work and somebody's like, Hey, I'll pay you to watch my booth for a little bit. Cause I want to go do something else. I mean, I don't, I don't know why they were working, but they were. And it, you could see the pride in what the kids were doing. They were, contributing to society and earning money and nobody was nobody was frowning on, on it there there was no oh how old are you or do you have a permit or any of those things um and i, I mean i got pretty choked up about that to be honest with you uh not not in a bad way. I was, I was brought to tears more than once out of joy at that festival. I don't know. I don't know if just being a father of two is making me soft in that way or, or what, but, uh, it's something I used to never do was especially out of joy, come to tears out of joy but I find myself doing it more and more as I get older and move into fatherhood. Um, <clears throat> other things that I, uh, I mean, Scott Horton spoke. Uh, I don't know. It's like, it's like going to your favorite rock band, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> watch I them play. Can I just say this? Um, I'm just going to have to call this out. I, I had an experience like no other. I have, I have seen, I've seen the world with Vance, you guys. I've seen him uh, around some incredibly noteworthy and famous people before. 
and he did not think twice about it. Um, quite often he would literally poke them uh, <laughs> because he just did not care. Um, so I, I say that to set the stage for the idea that this is a person who just doesn't get starstruck. He doesn't care how famous you are or how many arenas you've sold out. Um, he is just happy to undress in front of you. But <laughs> what I saw when he was fangirling <laughs> over Tom Woods <laughs> blew my mind. So Tom, if you no, nay, I'm, I'm manifesting this Tom, when you hear this, <laughs> Tom, when you hear this, just know that security alarm that goes off in the back of your brain where you see the same face a handful of times and you go, should I be afraid for my life? You're right to have that response, but know that he meant you no harm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I do get butterflies when I see people like Tom Woods or Bob Murphy or Scott Horton. Scott Horton, maybe not as much because I've met him before and <laughs> that man will talk to you so much that you will even Scott Horton, you're going to have to say, hey, man, I got to go to bed. So I, I got there with him once before. So <laughs> I think, uh, but yeah, um, I am a fanboy, I guess, of uh, of Tom Woods and that whole group. Bob Murphy too. Uh, definitely feel that way about him. I'll be the first person to say that music saved my life. But when we talk about people who are truly changing the world and are making the world a better place, you could say what you want about artists or celebrities or musicians, and I'm not here to take away from that or detract from that in any way, but I can say objectively that it's easy to see and connect the dots with these folks. When you look at a Tom Woods, when you look at a Scott Horton, when you look at a Bob Murphy, these are guys who are making the world a better place. These are these are the ones, and, and Vance, when you talk about being a father and thinking about the future, these are the guys who are making that future better for them. And I think that's why it resonates with you because it's not just you being a fan of Tom Woods, it's you being a fan of the world that he is making for your children and knowing that he's doing more more than just making your life better and making you entertained on a podcast. These guys are making an impact. The Contra Krugman podcast, for example. I know it's no longer a thing over now, but it's a podcast that Bob Murphy and Tom Woods did together. And what they would do is they would take an article that um, Krugman had written normally the times he wrote for the times right so and they would analyze it destroy it 
I mean, just tear it apart. And I loved this podcast. And I think that's where, that's when I wanted to podcast. It was that show in particular that did that for me. Um, because I remember sitting there going, wow, I'm listening to, you know, cause I had already seen talks that Bob had done and, and it felt like this brilliant man was speaking to me at a bar top. That's how that podcast made me, made it feel to hear when Bob Murphy spoke to me or spoke to us through that podcast. But it, I felt like it was to me. Um, and I said, well, I can, I can do that. I could do, I could talk to people. I could reach people um, in a different uh group somebody that bob's not reaching i could reach those people and then i could do my part um for my kids future and you know maybe one day when i'm dead and gone they you know maybe i changed something maybe i did something maybe they could be proud of what i did while i was here uh, that and th this is an outlet to do that, uh, and it was because of Bob Murphy, Tom Woods, and their little. Of course, they have their own shows. Well, Bob didn't then, but they do now. Um, but it was that that show in particular. I, I remember because I was driving to Walmart when it when I was thinking about it, but. Um, so, you know, I go to this festival, I see these people, I hear them speak. I know the stuff that they're saying already, for the most part, they're not, you know, it's, it's things that I've already been taught by them and the books that they've told me to read and whatnot, but it is exactly what a person like me, a person like you needs at the minimum once a year, <laughs> if not more. So, uh, I was really happy that not only was I able to go to this pork fest, but I was also able to bring my good friend with me and experience it with somebody who I'm going to talk to throughout the rest of the year. And, uh, I think we worked through a lot of, our own just brainstorming and just throwing shit at the ceiling fan and seeing, <laughs> you know what I mean? And see what's a lot of ideas between the two of us. Yeah. And it was so much fun and everything that we threw at the wall or whatever it, it, uh, it was all in the goal of Liberty and, it was fun. I mean, we did thought experiments. We did um, devil's advocate 
thing. I got mad at it. We ever. <laughs> a fake character that you were playing. I mean, I got mad at this person and uh, had a heated discussion with a, a fake character. And, you know, it seems weird, you and I saying it here, where we live, where we're at, in the rooms that we're in. But there, I bet there was a hundred different people doing the same thing. Yeah. We weren't weird. In that group of people, they would have said, yeah, we did that too. Or yeah. all of those people who have those impulses and think, "Oh, I'm so strange." I may, maybe some of them are lucky like us, where we've at least you know found at least you know one other person who they can kind of have that conversation with. Mm-hmm. Maybe some are still you know on, on their own and just thinking. Well, I've got I've got a couple of podcasts and books and things that I read and but it's it's so valuable, you're right, that you know, this is where um for all of you recovering religious folks, please cover your ears, but this is where the church got it right is the idea that there is this need for fellowship and people who believe the way that you do so that you can lift each other up and continue strengthening each other and you know two are more powerful together than the sum of their parts and so whether that be through church folks who call it fellowship whether that be through corporate types who call it synergy <laughs> when when people hold each other accountable and can lift each other up and bounce ideas off of each other, you're going to go further, you're going to go faster, and you're going to have a better time doing it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sitting here just reminiscing about me being mad at the... Uh, the character that you were playing. Uh, should should we share a, maybe even just like a high level of what that scenario was? Because th- it is something that kind of played out in the public sphere. We were discussing a topic. Um, that it, it's really just a topic that exists in the Liberty scene and not just in the liberty scene i would say even more subset than that it's it's more of the mises caucus and one other um advocate group in the liberty movement but i mean you you guys can speculate but that's we'll talk about that in detail later um but this is, <laughs> I find this funny, and I think a lot of other <laughs> libertarians would find this funny because uh, I have a wonderful liberty-minded friend, Bart, of course, and we are, we uh, were, we were staying in, we did not stay in a hotel like Tom Woods and Bob Murphy and them. We, uh, we roughed it. No, it was not in a tent either. Uh, 
we stayed in an RV trailer. Um, but we're in the RV trailer and we're discussing this topic. And uh, of course, my my buddy Bart right here, he goes, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll bite. Uh, devil's advocate. Okay. And then he goes into character like Bart does. Just right into character. He says that he's being devil's advocate and then goes into character. And I know it. And at first I'm... I'm arguing with him like it's Bart playing a character. But at some point in my head, it wasn't a character anymore. It was this it was somebody in front of me that was not Bart, but it was somebody else in front of me. And I I got heated. I remember I got loud. I got red, which I'm already red, but when I get upset, I get really red. And and you didn't even break character to laugh at me. You just kept it going and kept it going. And finally, I had to say, like, I know that I'm not mad at you, but I'm pissed <laughs> off right now. You know, like, <laughs> I it got lost and I couldn't even come out of it. I was like, oh man, we gotta, we gotta stop this because I'm upset with somebody who doesn't exist. But uh, it was a, it was a fun night and I'm glad we did that. Yeah. And, and I, I, as you know, thoroughly enjoy those exercises. Um, but I also enjoy the, the value that that simulation can bring. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not one to use the, uh, safe space phrase a lot, but <laughs> The, the idea of having a space to safely air grievances and not in a way that devolves into vitriol, right? Yeah. It's, a, it's a good faith argument based on people who are coming into it with intellectual honesty and debating or arguing in good faith. And I think that can help you uh, strengthen your argument. In fact, um, Tom said this in, I, we, we actually got to hear Tom. This is a bit meta. Tom was speaking about speaking. Uh, he had a, I, I think, was it a, I guess, public speaking 101, public it speaking was. 101. It's awful, awful speech. It was awful. I couldn't <laughs> understand a word he said. <laughs> Right. No, he was he was very articulate and great at delivery. Um, but actually, before I go into this, I'm going to go on a side tangent real quick and just say, Tom, listen, uh, you in this speech said to never apologize, but then you asked someone to beg your pardon. So I just wanted some clarification on that. Um, but in this public speech, you can, you can write to the uh, the podcast. Yeah, shoot us shoot us an email or. <laughs> Uh, a, a tweet if if it's uh, 140 characters because I assume it's just going to be a middle finger. Um, <laughs> but when he was talking about speaking in his speech about speaking, he was talking <laughs> about how some of the great orators and some of the great minds that he looked up to were ones that were able to strengthen the argument of their opponent. 
And I, I think there's there's great value in that because that in turn strengthens your argument, right? If mm-hmm. and maybe this is a pride thing, right? Maybe this is this is a pride or ego thing, but even if it is, it, it at least results in some pretty strong output. If you're just prideful or egotistical about going up against a worthy adversary, mm-hmm. you'll at least have strengthened an argument that you can go up against and have a legitimate challenge. Uh, there's nothing there's nothing all that satisfying about tearing down a weak argument. Um, I know I know some fairly immature folks who do get off on that, and that's what Twitter is riddled with. Mm-hmm. The keyboard warriors, but you tearing down a I mean, weak argument is well, Shapiro. That's what he got. That's how he got famous. It's the opposite, right? Like going the other direction, which I guess we would always call a straw man, right? You just break up a an argument that was never there in the first place as the a weakest person. argument around. Yeah, yeah, but not a lot of fun. There's not a lot of respect. I don't have a lot of respect for that. I mean, I, I mean, I, no, don't get me wrong. I think that those people that Shapiro broke down, most of them probably deserved it, and they were awful ideas and stupid ideas. But like, it didn't take any kind of intellectual um, any intellectual rigor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's I mean, there's a lot of showmanship though. But look. Um, but speaking of intellectual rigor, we got uh, the, the the Bill Crystal Scott Horton debate is going to happen for the Soho Forum in uh, October, I believe. Is Vegas taking bets yet? <laughs> I mean, Scott Horton is. Uh, I mean, he's going after the biggest fish in that whole pro war scene. Um, I don't know that. <laughs> I mean, if Vegas somehow picks the wrong odds or whatever, man, I know who I'm betting on. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think is going to happen there? We got, you have Scott Horton who knows the way that the most obscure Taliban leader picks his nose right <laughs> that guy and then you've got bill crystal who's been able to manipulate um the masses into going to war with all these different countries and they're going to debate on the merits of not war or war uh, <laughs> we I mean, this is going to be a as big as Porkfest to me. It's going to be like a Super Bowl. I know the David and Goliath metaphor gets <laughs> put out quite a bit. Um, so this isn't exactly that, but I do see it as more of a wisdom versus experience. Mm-hmm. Because Bill has had access to a lot of 
people, places, and things that Scott has not. So mm-hmm. there is a bit of experience. But you can travel the world and not learn anything. Whereas Scott has traveled as much as he possibly could and learned everything. So yeah. that's the battle I see waging on is <clears throat> knowledge versus resources. Oh, this is, I wonder a little, you know, us libertarians, we have things like pork fest where we go and we hang out and we, we hone in our skills. We, you play the devil's advocate. I get mad at you. <laughs> these these things happen. Do. Right. But if you've been in the Liberty scene long enough, you know this to be true. If you debate a left or a right establishment person, uh, anybody who agrees votes that way or whatever, Fox News listener, CNN, even worse, MSNBC, a fanatic, <clears throat> they don't know what the hell we're talking about. They, whereas you, if, if you're debating somebody you're, that's coming from the right, you kind of know what they're going to say because they have their talking points, they have their allowed opinions, and they're allowed to stray away from the from the flock in these certain places. They're allowed to have some differences than everybody else in the Republican or the Democrat Party. But for the most part, they have to stay right here. And we know that about them. And we know where right here is. If nothing else, because that's just what's around us all the time. <clears throat> But they have no idea what we are or why we are or what moves us to be the way that we are. And uh, I find that when I get into these debates with these people, they, they'll say what they think my argument is on a subject. And it's so, it's just. If, it, if it's somebody on the left, it's whatever the right would say about it. And then just because if I disagree with them on something, they think that, well, I disagree with them in the way that the right does or the left. Not from a principled stance. You know, They don't understand what that means. Like, who's your Bill O'Reilly who told you to say that? Is <laughs> basically what they're wondering. Like, how did you... Who gave you your marching order to say that? Um, you're you're touching on something really important here that we we shouldn't gloss over. <laughs> the idea of these debates is, in some ways, not fair at all because they are very they're coming from very different places, right? Someone who is on the right is used to saying, "This person told me to think this way." And I'm speaking with someone on the left who was told by someone else on the left that they should think that way. And we're going to debate with the sound bites we've been given. Mm-hmm. This is a, a paradigm shift. This is not a left versus right. This is a right 
versus liberty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is humanity versus government. This is death and destruction versus life and prosper, prosperity. The, these these ideas that you and I and these other wonderful people that we got to hang out with are about making sure that we are all better off tomorrow. It's not about making sure that I'm better than you tomorrow. And, you know, when the other person is arguing with that in mind, like, oh, I want to be the one in power tomorrow. At least in today's climate, I feel like they're at a disadvantage. I think Liberty's winning. And uh, buying beer (laughs) at a local beer shop and having them talk fondly about the festival going on. Um, whether it was just striking up a good conversation with a customer because that's the way you do business. It didn't matter to me like that. Even if that was his motive, I like that. I like there's a place, there's a state, there's a town that you can go to a shop and they, not only do they know that you, you exist, but they're happy that you're there. Cause so. even if he doesn't truly support the cause, he is in a place where the market allows him to say that unashamedly. And as even if it is just marketing, which I honestly don't think it was, I don't, I don't, think, that's, I don't think that's him blowing smoke so that we'll buy beer. I think he genuinely was, in support of our presence there. So shout out to, I believe his name was Kevin. I'll double check and correct myself on the next episode if that's not the case, but at Little Town Brews in Littleton, New Hampshire. That guy was super cool. That beer store was super cool. And you all should go buy some, some quality craft brews from him. Absolutely. It was a cool little shop. I mean, of course it was. It's it just full of beer. But <laughs> no, it, it, I love the atmosphere. It was a good atmosphere and uh, very helpful. With, I mean, hell, he walked us through so many different beers. Um, yeah. And for those of you listening um, who, are maybe stuck in a place like San Francisco where everything here is just an IPA or a different IPA or some take on an IPA <laughs> or something that is supposed to mimic the bitter, bitter taste of an IPA. Mm-hmm. There are other craft beers out there. <laughs> there are other flavors, right? 
There are oh, other man. things you can taste besides hops. Yeah, you, you know, and when the first when the I or the uh, craft beer things started hitting off pretty good, it, even here in Georgia, it wasn't just IPAs. It, there was a lot of variety, but it's really kind of yeah. It's kind of all went towards the IPA lately, but yeah, that 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 guy had he had a hell of a selection because, of course, we didn't get an IPA because I'm not an IPA guy. You're not an IPA guy. Uh, we got uh, a summer brew of some sort, but it was wonderful. Um, I think we were looking to get a porter or something for like a go to sleep beer, but we ended up getting something else. Um, we got walk around beer instead. Hmm. We got walk around beer instead. Oh yeah. That's what we got. Right. Yeah. It was, uh, God, that was an experience that that whole thing was, was amazing. Just, the fact that somebody acknowledged us and why we were there and the fact that they liked it just, I, we were both, we were glowing when we, when we left that place, uh, just grinning from ear to ear. And then we go to pork fest and we walk around and we go to the, the first, the, I wish I could remember names, but I'm terrible, but, when we sat down with that first uh, woman at her tent to talk about peaceful parenting, that group could, nobody in that group it could be, is anywhere close to the kind of people that we normally associate with. The, the interests and whatnot. It was just, we couldn't be further different, all of us in that group. But we had something in common. We were both, we were all liberty-minded and uh, at least interested in what peaceful parenting was, so, or is. And especially in that group on peaceful parenting, I, I felt like we got something out of that. Um, if not just, um, just hearing other people's experiences with, with the way that their kids reacted to different methods. <sighs> I don't know if anybody listening, any of the listeners are into the peaceful parenting thing, but I couldn't speak higher of it. And then it, it's, it's definitely been a worthwhile um, ex journey for me. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know. And you might even find other common interests as well. Um, I'm not going to say his uh, full name because it is unique enough to get him canceled. But uh, we'll say in that first group of folks we talked to, a gentleman, we'll call him Z. Um, I'm not sure where we would overlap culturally or socially, uh, but he did drop a Sound of Music reference, and that film is a classic. 
<laughs> it is a classic. And Bart, you know, you're you're not uh currently a parent. Not yet. But you were very interested in um in the ideas of peaceful parenting. And I hope that um, even if you're not going to use it, just that you were informed enough that you um, either know that you want to look into it further or it's not for you or whatever. And all kids are different. Who knows? Maybe, maybe you don't want to do it, but then when you have your kid, you do or vice versa. Who knows? Um, I swear by it, but I swear by it with my children <laughs> at the moment. So uh, I've learned not to, uh, not to say that's the way it's going to be forever, but I love it right now. And I feel like me and my son, my oldest son are very close. And I think a lot of that has to do with, uh, with those methods that I've used with him. So. Oh, I think you, I think you may have misunderstood. I was just going to those meetings to mock all of you breeders. It's